Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for gathering us here. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you've poured out on us. Thank you for the legitimate pleasures you've given us, and uh, thank you also for the pain, the, the, the reminders, Lord, that we are just sojourners in this world. We're just passing through. This will end. And so help us to live as strangers and pilgrims. And Lord, I pray for my brother Bob as he gets ready to share what you have laid on his heart. I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, help him to share effectively, clearly what we need to hear. Help us to listen and be and go home changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You don't feel you don't need to feel compelled to read. Um, but if you could turn to Matthew twenty-three to twenty, or uh, chapter twenty-four, twenty-three to twenty-five, you don't. We're not going to read that for a bit, but if having it open in your lap might be a good safeguard. I uh, I have been excited about this sermon, and and also feared with or filled with a little bit of trepidation. Uh, I've been challenged almost on a daily basis over over an aspect of our faith, and um, I finally got to the point where I just couldn't deal with that challenge anymore, and I wanted to delve into it. And when I delved into it, I got to admit, I was convinced of some things, and I wanted to be able to share that this morning. Um, my apologies uh, to those who just really want a fella to stand up here and start from Genesis and work your way through Revelation and bring scripture to everything that's said. My apologies. Um, that's about it. <laughs> but hopefully the spirit of God moves through some of the things that we have to share. So let me just start out by saying this might be one of the Last time's opportunities I have to be up here, but uh, I am going to enjoy it while I'm here until I get kicked off the, the podium. Let me start off by telling you a story. Let's see if you've ever heard anything like it before. What if I were to told you there was a person who was born of a virgin named Mary, had a stepfather named Joseph, was born on December 25th in a cave where animals are kept. His birth was announced by angels. There was a great star in the sky overhead as a sign, and there were shepherds there. Later in life, he was uh, honored by three kings. When he was 12, there was a special rite of passage he went through, but the ancient texts are silent about his life between the ages of 12 to 30. When he turned 30, he was baptized in a river by his cousin, who was later beheaded. This person had 12 disciples. He performed miracles, he cast out demons, walked on water, and raised people from the dead. People started calling him the Son of God, the way, the truth, the light, the Messiah, the Holy One. And he delivered a sermon on a mount, and he was transfigured on a mountain. Eventually he was crucified between two thieves, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. His followers later wrote down, all of his sayings, so that people could follow him. Now, probably you're all thinking here, of course, we know this story, this is Jesus. Well, there's a problem with that. In the late 1800s, there was a connection slowly being made between an ancient myth of Horus. Thousands of years before Jesus lived, fulfilled all of those. Everything I just said, born of a, a, a virgin named Mary, uh, died on the cross, 
crucified, resurrected. There was a fellow named Gerald Massey. He was a poet from England, and he was a a non-trained, if you will, Egyptologist. So he would take the stuff from Egypt, and he would study this stuff, and he would write books, and he wrote a lot of books. He was a poet. And he had a lot of saying. And you got to understand, in the late 1800s, there was just a real push into Egypt. And they were digging stuff up right and left. And there was this real super big interest in what Egypt has to say. So his books became very popular, and they went out. And this fella, he made a lot of connections. He found a lot of connections about the story that we know about Jesus and his biblical accounts and this fella named Horus. It's a funny name for a god. When I first heard his name, I thought... That's like somebody from the 40s, isn't it? Horus. Um, but at any rate, there's this, this god, if you will, named Horus. And there's a lot of comparisons and connections and lines, things that he lined up between uh, this Horus fella and, and what we know of Jesus. And these various stories uh, about this false god in Egypt, and he connected them. So, before we go any further, I just want to read this scripture again. It should be open in your lap as a safeguard, but let's just read this. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. All these discoveries were happened in late 1800s. Prior to that, there's, there's not one whisper of Horus being the uh, the antithesis or the, bef- the before Jesus happening. It all happened after the 1800s, well after Jesus said what he just said there. But let's go back to this, uh, this understanding of Horus. Let's, here's the original story of Jesus. Here is the first myths borrowed, let's say, from older faith systems to build a case that Jesus was uh, was more than a man. He was something worthy to die for. These myths of old that the early Christians would have pulled from had miracles and God-level acts that have deceived many through the years, including us in this room, and thousands who have given up their life and given up their freedoms and their, and their, their luxuries, if you will, all their possessions, all that, because they believed in this myth. This, the great signs and wonders are just retold myths. And what did Solomon say? He said, vanity, vanity, all is but chasing after wind. There is nothing new under the sun. We are following not a biography of a real man, but a collection of stories pulled together. And at some point, I imagine I am going to be asked to step down if I keep that up. See, I hear these attacks almost frequently, almost on a daily, at least weekly. You may never have heard this before, but they're out there. And at some point, you may stumble across it. The argument is that Jesus is not the unique, fully God, fully man that we know him to be. The argument is that Jesus was just some unassuming rabbi who had some wise things to say and people built up this religion around him, grabbing all these different myths so people would follow him. For what purpose? So that the people who said these myths would have power and they would rise up and they would get money and they would do all the things that you do. Never mind the fact that the people who said Jesus did what he did were all you know, boiled in oil and burnt and torn asunder and sawed in half and all these, it didn't seem to work out too well for them as far as if that was truly the case. There have been movies that have been put out. Luckily, nobody in this audience have probably ever seen it. But there's been several movies. There's been several books. There's a, um, a great work that collected Massey's and some other stuff that even the great thinker C.S. Lewis bought into and believed 
and had to deal with some of the things in that particular book. And I am going to make a real hard practice, not to mention any of the names of the books or the movies involved here, but there are a lot. There, uh, there are lectures, people going around still talking about this stuff. Uh, and in 2007, a movie came out. And, and in that movie, it takes Massey's work of 180 connections of the myth of Horus and the Jesus myth of what Jesus did. And they compare it, just going, it just scrolls down the screen. 180. It's overwhelming evidence. I mean, you look at that and go, there's that many connections and Horus was when? So you got you got to just like pause and think about that. I mean, he's proven his point with overwhelming evidence. The problem is, it is overwhelming, but the overwhelming evidence is something a little bit more than a reasonable person thinking would would assume. Let's let's just kind of go through. I just got nine of them here as an example. Um, this is this to show you how close this myth of Horus is on this Jesus myth, right? The two mothers of Horus were sisters, just as the two mothers of Jesus. I don't remember that. Uh, Horace's mother was an outcast with seven sons, just as Mary Magdalene had seven devils. I'm not really sure. Um, Isis, the mother of Horace, was taken into adultery as the woman Jesus set free from being stoned was taken in adultery. The Egyptian god Set, or Seb, depending on which story you read, was the foster father of Horace, just as Joseph Joseph uh, was the foster father of Jesus. Set, oh, this is this this you really love. Set and Horus were brothers and opposed each other, just as Jesus and Satan are brothers and oppose each other. Um, here we go. This one, uh, this one clenches it for me. You know, I read this and went, oh, well, I told me Jeremy and I are both. We we really I like this one a lot. Hermes, Hermes the scribe of Horus, and Hermas, the scribe of Jesus. When, when did when was he around? Was it like the second century? Hermas, the scribe? Hermes? Hermes. Yeah. So they're taking, in this movie, they're taking the idea that this guy who lived 100, 200 years after Jesus is as an example of how Horus, uh, you know, they just copied Horus' story. Um, the seven souls of Ra, the Holy Spirit, Ra is the top sun god in their myth. Uh, the seven souls of Ra, the Holy Spirit, and the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Ra is never referred to as the Holy Spirit in anything. I looked probably five plus hours of research doing this sermon. I can't find a single thing about him being called the Holy Spirit anywhere in anybody's writings. Uh, moreover, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, which seven? There seems to be a lot more. I would think, in any list I've seen. Um, the seven hawks of Ra, the Holy Spirit, and the seven doves of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember seven doves anywhere in the, in the Bible? Right. Um, this one, though, is probably the, 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 the one that clinches it the most. December 25th is the birth of Jesus, of Horus, of Dionysus, of Krishna, of many other pagan gods. December 25th. Well... It turns out there's a couple reasons for that. December 25th has a celestial meaning that I won't go into, but there is a certain thing with the sun and how it goes down and it comes back up and the Southern Cross. and it's, all, it's a very interesting study, but it would take away from what I'm talking about here. But let's just say December 25th is actually a very special day on, on many calendars. And so the fact that a God was born on that day 
Well, that, that, that makes sense. But before I defend why Jesus was born on the 25th, may I just say that they didn't figure that out until 300, uh, 336 years after his death. 336 years after, hmm. So uh, that's kind of like, let's put this in context. July 5th is coming up pretty soon, right? America will be uh, 247 years old. For someone to come up with the birth of Christ 300, almost 400 years later is almost as silly as us saying Christopher Columbus's grandson was born on a certain day without looking at Google, without without <laughs> asking uh, Siri any questions. For us just in this room to kind of get our heads together and figure out when Christopher Columbus's birthday was, was born, you couldn't do it. You would just have to come up with a guess. You'd come up with this or this, and, they, and that's what the early church did for whatever bizarre reason. There's lots of reasons why, supposedly, that they chose that. But we can't, in our collective knowledge, come up with something that far ago. There's no eyewitnesses, etc. So there's, there's no conflict. The fact that Karishna and, and uh, all these other gods were born on December 25th and their, and their various, has nothing to do with Christianity. It's, it's, it's totally removed. In other words, the parallel only exists in church history, not actual history. Why are these facts, uh, why are these false connections being made? I mentioned the movie in 2007. But there was another documentary put out in 2008 that was really successful, very popular, and it reached far larger audience. This movie had an opening weekend of $3.5 million uh, in early October 1st in, in just two cities, Los Angeles and New York. It was also limited to 502 theaters. It made $3.5 million from, from that many theaters. That's $6,972 per theater if you wanted to break that down. As a result, the film was ranked as number 10 at the box office that weekend. It went on. It is number 13 in all of Americans' history of tracing documentaries and the gross amount of money it's received. It's reused over $2 million or $2,200,000 uh, after its run. So, and this movie's on. You, could, you can download it off the internet. You can, it is very popular. It's popular because the guy who put it together has his own show. And as of the writing of this thing, he had over 800,000 listeners and watchers every week. So, that's what I'm trying to share is that this uh, widespread publication of these lies make the understanding a base level. There are people that you're going to talk to about Jesus handing out tracts or putting things on your car or things that have it in the back of their mind. Yeah, well, you're just ignorant. You don't know. This is all just made-up stuff from Horus and made-up stuff from Dionysus and made-up stuff from, from Karishna even, from India. These are all just made-up things. The historicity of, the, of Jesus is in question by a lot of people who have seen this stuff and just taken this fact without doing any type of research. And the research is there. I found so much stuff. The problem with de delivering today was trying to get it down to 15, 17 pages of stuff. I mean, I couldn't, I, I, I have one thing here I'm just going to mention. I found so many posters. I don't know if that's what they're called, but I found so many posters online that have examples of different belief systems. This is just, uh, Horus and Myth Mithros, uh, versus Jesus. Let's see, Horus was uh, born of a virgin on December 25th. Misros, by the way, he's a god that was worshipped in Babylon. A form of his belief system was brought down to Israel, so he would have been known in Israel at that time, a Roman uh, deal. He was, uh, Mithros was born of a virgin, December 25th. 
He was considered a great traveling teacher. He was a, <laughs> what they worshiped for him was alcohol. So he went around telling people how to plant vines. He was a great teacher, not a comparison to Jesus. Um, he had 12 disciples. He performed miracles. He was buried in a tomb. After three days, he rose again. There is no evidence of this. This is this whole cloth stuff. But you have to dig and dig and dig to find it because this stuff is all over. These posters are all over on the internet. So, anyway, uh, he had 80,000 uh, 80, people per week are watching this, this guy. He's a, considered an intellectual, and he's a great mocker of anything that falls within his range. In this movie, this documentary he does, he walks up, and this is what started me because I, I got told this, and I kind of stumbled over my words, and then I went and looked it up, and it's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but in this movie, he, wa- he goes to Israel, and he walks up to t- Christian tourists, and he says, excuse me, are you a Christian? You know, they're like standing at the open tomb or one of the other sites there. And then he says, excuse me, did you know that Horus, uh, in the, in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which was published in 1280 BC before Christ, right? 12, so that's what, what, 1280 years before Christ was even heard of, right? Uh, he was the son of the chief god, uh, um, the chief god, born of a virgin Mary, uh, had a stepfather named Seb, which, by the way, is Egyptian for Joseph. This is what he's telling these people in the movie. Uh, Seb is the other word, or the Egyptian word for Joseph. He was baptized in a river by uh, Anup, his cousin, who was later beheaded. And by word, by the way, Anup is translated as John, from Egyptian to, to the, this is all a thousand years before Christ was around. This son of God was tempted in the desert alone. He was healed uh, he healed the sick, he brought sight to the blind, he cast out demons and walked in water. He resurrected a man named Asser, A-S-A-R, which when translated is pronounced Lazarus. He had 12 disciples. He goes on to stump the Christians effectively, showing them as blindly following, following a proven fake. Not one of them were able to answer any of the questions or challenges that he had. I would hope that there were actually people that could have. Can you imagine Matthew Melioni standing there, or Roger, or somebody else, uh, Jeremy, or anybody in this room, I would hope, be able to say, well, and then go back to it. But but the best they could say is, well, I I believe the Bible. And then he would use that in every single interview. He'd use that to jump into the credibility of the Bible and slam the Bible, how the Bible's unreliable, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He does it all in good fun. He has mocking tones. He's looking at the camera with the knowing look. Um, I just hope somebody had a better answer for it than these guys. It was it was embarrassing, but I got to admit, uh, as he was saying, it's like no way, no way, really, no way. I mean, how can somebody say this stuff and have it not be true? No way. So I had that's kind of started my own research. The first thing you got to know is that the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and get this, this is the Bible, guys. It was put together. It was canonized. A bunch of men got together in prayer, and they went to this church over here, and they said, what books have you used that are Holy Scripture? Great. What have you used? What have you used? And they pull all these works together, and they look at them. Okay, a vast majority uh, recognizes that the book of Peter is from Peter, and a vast majority are using it. Now, this church over here had the Gospel according to St. Thomas. Nobody else had that. This one had a gospel from Mary. And this one even had a gospel from Jesus. But nobody recognizes these. So we're going to put this in a different book called the Pseudopigrapha. We're going to move that over there. 
We don't think so. But this is what we canonize. We believe these came from the authors. We believe we had a group of men who in prayer and by led by the Holy Spirit put this together. Meanwhile, the Egyptian Book of the Dead that, that this fellow is quoting from is a vast amount of work. It's pictographs on a on a a pyramid over there and a wall that's over there. It's a scrap of paper from this. And, and it's, the Egyptian Book of the Dead is not canonized. It was written over thousands and thousands of years with all these different myths that were put into it. And, and there's no book that you can go to and go this, that's the other thing. In other words, Horus, for a big chunk of Egyptian history, was believed to die with the last pharaoh and be resurrected into the new pharaoh. Now this new pharaoh would have to write a backstory to justify the experience in his life as how that plays into the Horus story. So each pharaoh had their own version of the Horus story. Horus story. They each had a version of it. So all these different stories, you could cherry pick all of them. You could put them together and you could say anything you want. It's hard to disprove and it's hard to prove because they could point at a verse that says something similar to Jesus and, and then they put it with a verse over here or a word or a work and they could make anything sound anything they want. Um, the book of the dead is a term to describe various pictographs, writings, and traditions that vary from place to place. If you had to nail this term down to a book, then it would be one of many books or scrolls of spells left for the dead to help them onto the next life. Some of these books had little stories of God adventures, and that's that's where they're taking these stories from. Um, not that any of those two myths would agree with each other. Anything can be proven in this system. If you grab a story from the north part, and you grab one from the east of Egypt, and you grab one from the coast of Egypt, you can grab all that together. And in fact, I got this great um, example here. This business of the baptizer. Remember, this uh, this fellow is the cousin of Horus. Uh, he baptized him, and then he was later beheaded. Remember that part of the story? Well, let's delve into that a little bit. The business of the baptizer. In most recordings of Horus, Anup was never mentioned. However, there was one story, one out of just a mass collection of, of works, and so it's easy to say it was made up, but there was an account of Anup washing the dead. He wasn't baptizing to identify with a god. He was practicing the, the Egyptian technique of washing a dead body to cleanse off all the clean issues of life so it could pass on to the next life. A totally different baptism concept. But we could say he was baptizing. Okay, so he was baptizing. In this one story, it says this, um, that after Horus was killed by his father and cut into several pieces. Oh, wait a minute. That's another one of his stories. Um, uh, when Horus was killed by a sting of a scorpion. Again, that's that's a different Horus ending. Um, okay, how about the story? When Horus was erased by Ra. Uh, no. That wasn't it. Okay, so when Horus was blinded and then secreted, he was put into a stone chamber where nobody could pray to him, being a god, he slowly died because he lost all of his followers. There's so many different stories in how he died. Uh, who knows? But in one of those stories, this baptizer uh, takes the dead body, important to the story, dead body of Horus, goes down to the Nile, and he washes his body to cleanse it from the life experiences. And while he's holding the head down underneath the water for about three minutes, the body slips away from him because of the river current, goes downstream, and strikes its head against a rock and dies a second time. The stories are really just convoluted, but does that sound like anything about John the Baptist and Jesus? But yet we can say 
This Antwerp, which, by the way, was Set. Set could be, depending on the stories, his brother, his cousin, his uncle, and even his father in some of the stories. So who knows who this Antwerp fellow was? But he was a baptizer, right? And he, and he put him on the water. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. Not baptized. The father didn't say anything. The dove didn't come. To, the seven doves, whatever. Nothing came down on Jesus at that moment or on Horus other than he died a second death somehow. Let me quote uh, Joe Sorensen. This is out of the hundreds of articles I read. There was two articles I really wanted just to repeat up here because they were said so well. Uh, Joe, John Sorensen from his article, Cleaning Up the Horus Manure. Part of the problem with the Jesus is Horus claim is that in order to find items that even partially fit the life story of Jesus, advocates of this view must cherry pick bits of myth from different epochs of Egyptian history. This is possible today because of modern archaeology has given us extensive knowledge of Egypt's, Egypt's religious beliefs and how they changed over time, making it possible to cite one detail from this version of the story and yet another from another. But the early Christians, now try to remember this. If you're confronted with this, this is a great line. But the early Christians, even if they had wanted to base the Gospels on the Horus myth, would have no way to do so. They might have known what they what was believed about Horus in Egypt of their day, but they would not have any access to the endless variations of the stories that lay buried in the sand until archaeologists started digging them up in the 1800s. So the claims are so outlandish. Some of the claims are so outlandish, there is just no connection. I read some of the things like the two mothers of Jesus. Uh, you just have to scratch your head and go, these guys ever read the Bible before they start commenting on it? Um, but this is, this is the other letter I wanted to read to you. A little bit long, just bear with me, but it was put together so well. Uh, dear, so this is a email chain, if you were, off of an article that a, a Catholic priest wrote. And so this, this is a response to that article. Somewhere in that article, this, uh, this priest said something that offended this particular reader, and he says this, Dear Father Spitzer, the Jesus myth is almost entirely lifted from Horus, the Egyptian god of the sun. Born of a virgin on December 25th, had 12 disciples, healing the blind, uh, raised a man from the dead, crucified, rose again three days later, and was savior. All thousands of years before the New Testament, and a larger portion of the Old Testament, as I recall, was written. Although I have never doubted that a man named Jesus existed and taught, calling him the Messiah seems extreme pretentious. This is the response. As you know, Horus is said to be a god of the sky and therefore contains the sun and the moon. His divine origin is from Isis, who is said to have been impregnated in various ways. However, she was by no means a virgin. And that is the kindest way in all the articles I read it to explain it. There, there was no virgin behavior in Isis and how she became impregnated. I'll, I'll just say it that way. Horus did not, uh, did not have a single incarnation born in December 25th of a virgin, but rather multiple incarnations in all the pharaohs. Horus, in fact, is thought to be the source of pharaoh's power. When one pharaoh died, Horus would assume a new incarnation in the pharaoh's, uh, in the next pharaoh, and the deceased pharaoh would be in the presence of, uh, of the father, of their father. To be honest with you, the differences between Horus and Jesus are so vast that there does, does not seem reasonable to believe that Jesus' myth could have been developed from it. Above, I stated that Horus was not born of a virgin, as Jesus was, as is also claimed that the birth was announced by an angel and a star, and the shepherds visited the cave 
in which he was born. By the way, um, I did find the reference that they were talking about Horus being born in a cave. One of the stories of his birth is that he emerged out of a rock. That's what they pointed to as him being born in a cave where animals are. Uh, so, okay. All aspects except for the location are eerily similar, similar to the story of Christ's birth. However, there's actually no reference to a cave or shepherds or the in the Horus myth. Furthermore, there is not stated anywhere that the birth was heralded by an angel or announced by via a star. Another claim similar to the Jesus story is that Horus had 12 disciples. However, this claim can be deemed false as there is no constant or there is no consistent recollection recollection there is no consistent number <laughs> of the number of followers that Horus had. Some accounts say that Horus had only 4, others say that he had uh, 16. Furthermore, there's there's a group that says an undetermined amount. Um, there's the one account that I said he said 10, and they were all half-sons. So they weren't followers. They were they were all mixed with gods um, that followed him. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples, which can be historically proven, and there's a great article off of that and how that can be proven. Horus is also claimed to have performed miracles, which would, of course, be present in the retelling of a myth he was deemed a god. However, there is no mention nor proof that Horus ever walked in water, raised people from the dead, or exercised demons. Also, through the use of history, we can prove the miracles of Jesus. Again, another great article. Uh, just like Jesus has claimed that Horus was crucified between two thieves, he is even said to have been buried for three days and was resurrected. However, Horus is not reported to have died in most retellings of the myth. Commonly, he is said to have merged with Ra, the sun god, and is reborn as the sun rises every day. In contrast, um, through history, we can prove that Jesus was resurrected. Again, another great article. Uh, this aside a point, I had to do a lot of research on this because it wasn't mentioned too many places, but the fella Asar, A-S-A-R, transliterated is Osiris, not Lazarus. If we want to go a little bit deeper, Lazarus means God has helped. Lazarus means in Hebrew, God has helped. So the idea that, that maybe in another myth there was a couple people named Lazarus that were raised by whatever fake god there is is not too much of a stretch of imagination to understand what happened there. Saying that God has helped could be a thing. But there is nothing that says that Lazarus raised this fellow named Lazarus. It's a totally different name. And this is a clincher for me. Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, who is not a friend of Christianity, in any stretch of the magic, not a friend of the Bible, doesn't believe anything in the Bible, doesn't think that the historicity can be proven of the Bible. On his website, a guy types in, he says, hey, I need scientific proof that the connection of Horus and Jesus are the same. Where, where, where do I go? Because I can't find anything. And the response is um, comparing them as a stretch and fabrication. Dawkins doesn't even think that it was. Prior to 1800, there was nothing. After 1800, everything's based on this guy who didn't know what he was talking about. Every book quotes from him. Every movie quotes from Gary Massey. Massey didn't know anything. He just invented things. So, the point these people are trying to make, of course, is that the Jesus story is completely fabricated and stolen from myths of Horus, from Osiris, from Mithras, from Dionysus, from Karishna, their goal is to, by the way, on just, just going to the side point here, Krishna um, was resurrected in the story. This is a, a god from India. He was resurrected. And that's one of the things they point out. He was resurrected. Well, 
Uh, so he was sleeping in the forest. A hunter thought he was a deer. By the way, he had blue skin. Not really sure how that worked out. But anyway, this guy shoots him, and the arrow hits his heel, and that kills him. Kills him. Again, don't know how that would work. But uh, he's resurrected in the moment and tells the hunter, I forgive you. And then goes off to nothing, literally. That's that's their heaven is nothing. Nirvana. So, uh, not, no, there's nothing there that compares him to Jesus. The fact that he was resurrected, uh, okay. Um, Dionysus, he was one of the gods uh, of the of alcohol, and he says, "I am the vine." Can you imagine a god of alcohol saying, "I am the vine"? Wouldn't that make sense? How about Jesus saying, "I am the vine"? Completely different context. Absolutely, completely different context. But the, are the words the same? Yes. So they can point and say, this is just a made-up story grabbed from here or there. Jesus really wasn't the vine. Well, he was the vine. He is the vine. Uh, there's so much more to talk about that I found on this. Truly overwhelming evidence of the non-connection of the other world face. When you read things or hear things about the Bible or about Jesus, go to the source, the Bible. Its authority has been proven over and over again. Jesus is proven in history and documentation and through the witness of those who touched and were saved by him. The myth collaboration is not limited to Horus, the god of wine from Babylon the, the, um, and the dramatic tribes. There's all sorts of things there, and I won't go through that, um, but they're all so totally different. The little words may be the same, but yeah, uh, but the stories are completely different. Our faith is in a real God. He is a real God that can be proven by real history, real facts. Our faith is not blind or senseless. It is not a mere feeling of or a want desire to be true. It is, uh, it is not pure spiritual. But as Christ was fully both spiritual and physical, so is the God we follow and our faith in him. He is a real God that is, was, and will be unchanging. He is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Through him all things have been made that are made, and through him all things are held together. He is the word from the beginning and will be to the past the ending. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is real love. He is real sacrificial love. He is the lover of my soul. I know that he is because it is he that made me, not I that made him. No man can invent the greatness of God. No man could invent what we have recorded about the actual works of Jesus as he walked for three years, four years on the earth doing his ministry. Nobody, it's it, amazing and provable. He said that probably the best way for me to say it is that he said, his father said uh, to Moses, tell the people that I am sent you. And Jesus repeated that in, in John. I am. It's all inclusive. He wasn't made up from these other gods, these other myths. He is truly unique in history. He's truly the moment when God said, I want to save my people. And he gave his son as a sacrifice. That is a unique experience. Only Christianity records it. There's even a little bit of... Uh, uh, if you're even a little bit convinced of the lies, let me know. I have article after article after article saved on my computer now, at work and at home. Again, I have worked on this thing for so many hours. There is so much documentation that this is all made up from the 1800s, 
and quoted and requoted and requoted and requoted. So, just a little bit of proof. I am finished. <laughs> I've cut way too much, apparently. I thought I was going to be up here sucking down your time for the rest of the day. But let me just quote, since I have a little bit extra time, I want to quote some of the uh, proofs that are there. Just one tiny proof of Jesus. His true existence. Outside Bible. Okay, I don't know why you'd want to say that the historicity of this book is not, not true when we could talk for hours about the, the amount of copies, the amount of eyewitnesses that were in here versus Alexander the Great versus you know almost any other figure in history. We could go on and on and on about how true this has to be based just on the history of this book. But outside of this book, let's just look at something else here. So out of all the different resources I had a chance to look at, I looked uh, specifically at Josephus and what he wrote. Now, does any... You all know who Josephus is. So I have to just say, introduce him just a little bit. Okay. And, and what I believe is the tribulation. Um, during 70 AD, when Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed by the Roman government for the three and a half years that Revelation talks about. Anyway, during that time, Josephus wrote. He was a historian. He was not pro-Christian. He was favored by the Romans. So a lot of his writings has to do with how great Rome is. And he was very Jewish. So a lot of his writings have to do with Jewish understandings of life. But he was a historian. He didn't believe in Christ. He wasn't a follower of Christ. He didn't think that, that, that he was the God figure that everybody else that we would believe him to be. But these are his writings. The first one I'm going to read, i got to admit, there is some controversy over. The controversy is he actually admits that Christ is more than just a man in what I'm about to read. So the idea that Josephus wrote it doesn't match up with everything else in his book. However, the unique language he uses is. That does match. The the tenses and the stuff that he used, so that does match. There's some idea that maybe some words were taken out, maybe some words were added to this section. This is a disputed section, but let's just hear what we can learn from this. This is in uh, Antiquities of the Jews, uh, book 18, chapter 3, or paragraph 3, however you want to read it, it says this, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men uh, as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over uh, he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets uh, had foretold these, and tens of thousands, uh, um, as the divine prophets had foretold these, and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. This sect might have been for uh, this sec this section might have been forged or altered but there's two things in there i don't know if you guys heard it because i was reading it and it's like my wife says a lot of times i say stuff just flies over everybody's head but there was two things in there i just want to make sure if if this section was something that somebody grabbed as a christian and just wanted to make up something about god a christian would have been the one that did that right are anywhere in the bible or christians or anybody anywhere in church history is it known that the christians are known as a tribe almost sounds like somebody who doesn't quite know what Christians believe. 
So that could have been Josephus. This could have been from him. The other thing is he referred to him as a wise man. If a Christian wrote that, I don't know if he would say he was a wise man. He would probably say the Messiah or, the, or God. All right, so that's a disputed thing. All right, all right, talks about Jesus. Maybe it was added, maybe, evidence both ways. This section here, not disputed. The next two sections I'm about to read, nobody disputes it. They say this came from Josephus. This is original, um, and it's a big section. I cut way down, so it's kind of slightly out of context, but this is in the same book. It says, when therefore Ananias was uh, of his disposition, of this disposition, he thought he had now a proper opportunity to exercise authority. Festus was now dead, and Albinius was but upon the road. So he, assume, he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before him the brother of Jesus, who was also called Christ, whose name was James. In 70 AD, a historian who was not in favor of Christians admitted that people were calling him the Christ. That's 70 AD not 200 years later, added to a story. So a historian at the time says, this guy is referred to as the Christ. The Christ means what? The Messiah, the King, the Anointed One. The re- this, this, he admits that there was a guy named Jesus who had a brother named James. The Bible backs that up, right? Anyway, he calls him in and they talk about how uh, he decided to kill James. We'll go into that, but... And this is another one. This is out of uh, uh, Josephus' Antiquity of the Jews concerning John the Baptist. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God and that very justly as a punishment for what he did against John that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him, who was a good man, and condemned the Jews to exercise virtue. Uh, who, command, who commanded, sorry, not condemned, who was a good man who commanded the Jews to exercise virtue both as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism, for the washing would be acceptable to him uh, if they made use of it, not in order of the putting away or the remission of some sins only, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness. Okay, goes into some doctrine there, but the idea that a historian at 70 AD with an eyewitness stand said there was a John the Baptist who was killed by Herod. It backs up the Bible, but it's outside the Bible. This, this is proof. The Gospels were written within the lifespan of eyewitnesses. Alexander the Great was written 500 years after Caesar, or uh, Alexander the Great was 500 years after Caesar was written 500 years after he died, um, and a lot and historians just accept his stuff. Now, again, there were article after article about outside Bible evidences that support who Jesus was, and he's unique. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to get in way early. I'm really happy about that, and I know you guys are too because this stuff was pretty thick. But suffice it to say this. I routinely get into the conversation that this Jesus thing was just, he was a guy wandering around, he made some good points, and, and they wanted to put together some sort of belief system around him so that they would have power over the, over the uh, poor people, the masses who are looking for hope, and they uh, gave him hope, they gave him something. And these stories were just kind of compiled from here, and compiled to here, and, and you can say things like, well, Israel was kind of the center, you know, you got Egypt coming up, 
uh, up to Europe. So they go right through. You have uh, Babylon and Asia coming down. So they go back up into into Europe. So they did. There was a convergence of ideas and thoughts and and all sorts of things and teachings and different belief systems, and of course Rome's influence. But all that aside, the information they would have had when they formed this new religion wasn't there. Not the stuff that they're saying is, is was there that formed this thing. So what I'm saying is Jesus has evidence that he walked the earth. He has evidence that he died for our sins. We have evidence that he loves you today. And he's worthy for you to give your life to. I mean, if if somebody said, listen... This, this banana, it looks just like a banana, but it's full of poison. And if you eat it, you're going to die. And, and, and I'm an eyewitness. I've seen my cousin die and I've seen somebody die. And, and, and you look at it and you go, well, I didn't experience it myself. I don't know where that came from. I mean, maybe it's the, the guava people saying don't eat bananas because they're dangerous. You want to eat guava. You can come up with all sort of stuff. But if I'm an eyewitness, what are you going to say? There are eyewitnesses that Jesus walked the earth. There are eyewitnesses that he died on the cross for our sins. There are eyewitnesses that he was resurrected. That they recorded it and it is a unique manuscript among among any. That's redundant. It's a unique manuscript. There is no other manuscript as documented as the Bible. The stories of Jesus are reliable. They're truthful. And if you don't believe him now, there are consequences. Because the Bible talks about the consequences. So, I, I again, uh, it's fascinating to me. I wanted to get well versed in it because this debate comes up frequently in my life um, with a with a fellow. But um, and as I kind of selfishly took our time up here today for me to do my own personal research for those discussions. But I hope it helps you guys. If you ever get in a discussion, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you more about it. Um, or if you do get a discussion, just know right now the facts are. It's all made up. The whole conglomeration of other faiths and just completely. Have you had any phone calls over Horace? Yeah. Yeah, so it's out there. This this comic um, is very, very popular. And he has stuff all over the internet. So, yeah. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, you warned that there would be other people calling themselves Christ coming out of the desert and uh, performing miracles and and doing these healings and things. And Lord, you said, don't believe them. They're false. There's a reason you said that, Lord. It is powerful in the, in the human mind to look for some sort of hope. And we have placed our hope in so many different false things, including our own power to escape sin, our own power to avoid sin, our own power to be good people. We have uh, looked at false gods and we have said that power, we have said that money, we have said security, we have said all these things, marriage, children, we've said all these things will give us peace. And they're false. They don't give us peace. There's only one source. There's only one Christ. There's only one Jesus. There's only one God who loved us enough to send his son. And we thank you, God. I can't, I can't begin to thank you enough. You are a great and gracious God. You are not like any other faith system out there. You cared for us. You did the work, the labor, to bring us to you. Lord, how can we not give our lives to you? 
Lord, Holy Spirit, convict us. How can we not give our lives to such a real God who's given us real expectations of life? Thank you, God, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your shepherding love. Thank you for your sacrificial love. Thank you for your word. I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for that. That you left 66 books for us to read, ponder, think about, point at, even discuss and debate and disagree on. But they're here. They're clear. We can read them. We can discuss them. We can compare them. This is a gift. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you left us. And we just pray, God, that you continue to build our faith that we could stand against any onslaught from the devil. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and thank you for your attention, guys. I know this is wordy, heady stuff, and it, 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 I only gave you those verses, but um, those verses are meaningful, deeply meaningful.